Turn your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, the book of Romans chapter 8. Get your minds thinking a little bit this morning. How long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able. Why did Noah punish all the chickens on the ark? Because they were using foul language the whole trip. Foul language, Harley. Amen. They were better today? Amen. So this morning, we're going to try to make sense of suffering. Amen. Suffering is something that we are all familiar with, and it's something that none of us can avoid. Suffering comes in, in many, many different forms. Most of us, you know, we're, we're familiar with, with physical suffering and, and pain, um, but suffering can also be emotional and spiritual. Amen. Sometimes suffering comes from decisions that we didn't even make. You know, think of the people in Ukraine today. Amen. They're suffering from a war that they never declared. It doesn't take long to look around and see just how much suffering there is today. There's wars, there's hatred, there's genocide, there's violence. There's natural disasters. We have hurricanes and tornadoes and, and floods. There's famines and, and deadly diseases. You have outbreaks of E. coli. You know, the world is just coming through, you know, the pandemic of COVID. And we find ourselves right smack dab in the middle. Amen. Let's read in Romans chapter 8, just one verse I want to look at this morning. Verse 18, Romans 8, 18. The Apostle Paul he was writing to the church in Rome. He said, For I consider, I reckon, some translations say, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So bottom line is that we all experience suffering. There's no candy coating it. There's, there's no denying it. The problem of suffering is real, and suffering is an absolute reality for every single one of us. But something important to note, if you don't find answers, if you don't find truth, if you don't find solutions, it can cause discouragement, and even worse, it can lead to doubt and rebellion against God. Even a Christian may find themselves shaking their fist towards heaven and, and questioning why. Why, God, did you let this happen? Why, God, are my loved ones suffering? If we don't keep it in check, if we don't find answers and truth and solutions, it can lead to outright rebellion against God. If we're not careful, it can lead to just flat-out doubt. Some will look at all the pain, all the suffering, all the tears, and ask, where is God in all this? In the time that we're going through it, where is God? In this world, and when I say this world, I'm talking about this world system, and this world will quickly give you its opinion. 
The agnostics will offer an opinion pretty quick. The, the atheists, the agnostics will say, well, maybe your God cares, but he just doesn't have the power to do anything about it. Or they'll offer up, well, he can do something about it, but he just doesn't care. Maybe it's the flip side of that. And the atheists, they'll just tell you, God doesn't exist, and that's why you're suffering. He doesn't exist at all. So when we're suffering, they will all plant those seeds of doubt, those, those seeds of discouragement in our minds. But that was not the case with the Apostle Paul here, was it? He said, for I consider, some translations say, for I reckon. You know, Paul was a southerner. He said, for I consider, I reckon. That means I was doing some figuring. I was doing some calculations. I was, I was taking inventory of things. I was figuring some things out. He was adding things up. And what he came to conclusion, he said, in my life, in my experiences, in all the sufferings that I have endured, I am not in the red. I have not suffered loss. I am in the black. I had gained in my walk with the Lord. Amen. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And this morning, I want us to see how the Apostle Paul came to that conclusion. And let's consider how to make sense of suffering today. How to make sense of suffering. And the first, first thing I want us to see is that we have to understand the bondage of corruption. Bondage of corruption. Let's, let's keep reading in, in Romans 8. Skip down to verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered, listen to what the Bible says, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, and it labors with birth pangs together until now. He says, for creation was subjected to futility. That means it never reached its full potential. Creation never reached its full potential. Why? Because of the curse of sin. The bondage of corruption. We see it everywhere. Pains and moans and groans and suffering. This world is in the bondage of corruption. It is in the bondage of sin. When Adam sinned, we need to understand that, that he dragged down the entire creation. That is the bondage of corruption. We also need to understand that this is not how God created this world. Amen? This is not how God created things. He didn't create it this way. I get asked this a lot. So people ask, why did God create evil and pain? The answer is he didn't. God did not create evil. God did not create pain or suffering. Amen? God's incapable of creating those things. When God finished his creative work, what did he look upon it and say? It is good. Amen? When God finished his creative work, he looked upon it and he said, it is good. That means it was completely perfect. 
All of it, including man. All of it was good, God said. When God made this perfect man, Adam, in the garden, he also created him with a free will to choose. He gave him a free will to make choices on his own. He made Adam perfect and perfectly free. Amen? Same as each and every one of us. We all have a free will to choose. And we need to fully understand these truths so that we don't fall into that, into that snare of doubt and rebellion. So we don't start believing those, you know, the wrong theology that's out there. The bad theology that's, that's quickly offered to us as an opinion, as a solution. We need to understand truth so that we can come to a proper conclusion. God is not the maker of evil. God is not the maker of pain. God is not the maker of suffering. Amen? When God made all things, he made them perfect and good. Amen? Others, you know, will ask, well, then why did God create us with a free will? good question why why did God create us with a free will he didn't have to the answer is very simple true love true love you see God desires that we love him back the Bible makes it clear that we love because he first loved us and God desires that we love him back. This is our highest good. This is our highest calling to love God and to love one another in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's our highest good, our highest calling. God could have made us robots, couldn't he? He's sovereign. He could have made us robots that just automatically loved him and worshiped him day and night. But that's forced love. Amen? And forced love is a contradiction in terms in and of itself. Love chooses on its own. Amen? You can't have forced love. We all have a choice to choose who we love. I've chosen gritty, apparently. And this choice we need to understand, also includes Jesus Christ, our creator. We have a choice whether to love him or choose not to love him. That's the way God created us. Love or not to love, even Jesus Christ, the one who created us himself. Choosing to love God is our highest good. But choosing not to love God, you see, that's the highest sin we can ever fall to. Amen. So Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God and, and to fall into sin. And when they did, they brought about the bondage of corruption that we read here in Romans 8, the, the bondage of sin. And we live in a very sin-sick and sin-cursed world. Question number three. Why doesn't God just destroy evil? Why doesn't he just destroy Satan? 
Well, you have to think about this. The reason God created us with a free will was because of true love. Amen? And if God were to destroy evil, then he would destroy the freedom to choose. And if he destroyed the freedom to choose between right and wrong, then he absolutely would be in a position of forced love. Amen? We have to comprehend it. We have to understand all of these truths in order to understand why there is suffering. If God flat out destroyed evil, then we would have no more choices between right and wrong, good and evil. And what would be left would be forced love. It would destroy our opportunity to attain that highest good, our highest calling, by freely choosing to love God in return of his perfect love towards us. Now, I want to clarify something here. God does not destroy evil. What does God do to evil? He defeats it. Amen? God does not destroy evil, but he absolutely defeats it. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. Amen? He came to undo what the first Adam did. Jesus defeated evil. He defeated Satan on Calvary's cross through his death and resurrection, the cross and the empty tomb. Amen? He didn't destroy it, but he sure did defeat it. Now let's get back to, to this bondage of corruption for just a second. So when Adam sinned, a curse was placed on all creation. Sometimes we overlook that. Uh, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. This is after Adam and Eve sinned. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. What we see in verse 14 in Genesis chapter 3 is the curse upon the animal kingdom. Go down to verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. Verses 17 and 18, we see the curse on the ground upon vegetation. Then verse 19. It says, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, listen to what it says, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That is the curse upon all mankind. When God created Adam, how did he create him? Perfect and good. That means Adam would have lived forever, never decayed, never died. But because of sin, that bondage of corruption, that bondage of sin, now mankind must taste death. 
And he said, uh, uh, till you return to the ground, meaning until you face physical death. Amen? But that's not how God created us. If we go to chapter 1 in the book of Genesis, in verse 26, this was God's intent. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see there that that's plural, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the entire Godhead was part of creation. Amen? So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created us to have dominion over all of creation. Amen? People always ask, how did Noah manage to get all those animals into the ark? Verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. God created us to have dominion. God did not put the fear of man into animals until after the flood. Amen? So Noah had no problem getting all those animals into the ark. But this was God's original design for us to have dominion over all of creation. But look how far we have fallen. We are morally depraved, body, mind, and spirit. After Adam sinned, what did Adam say in the garden? God was looking for him. Adam, where are you? What was Adam's response? For I was afraid. I'm hiding, for I was afraid. That shows our moral depravity. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, why? You know, we like to blame Adam and Eve, don't we? But the answer is right here. Because all have sinned. And the wages of sin is what? Wages of sin is death. That is the just reward. That is the just payment of our sin. Because of sin, we all face death. Going back to our scripture in Romans 8. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about the children of God, we have the first fruits of the Spirit of God, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Our flesh cannot be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Only our soul can. This is why we suffer and hurt and feel pain because this flesh that we're still wrapped in cannot be redeemed. It's still in the corruption, uh, the bondage of corruption, in the bondage of sin. Amen? Second thing we need to understand is that we are delivered from bondage into liberty. Let's go look at verse 21. 
because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So God is telling us that this bondage, this bondage of corruption, this bondage of sin will be delivered into liberty. Not only that, verse 23, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Friends, this is the Christian hope. Amen? It's something we eagerly wait for. You need to understand that and note that in this passage. It's something that we eagerly wait for. We're waiting for this deliverance. This is not an immediate possession for us. Salvation is, amen? Salvation is an immediate possession, but the redemption of our body is something that we eagerly have to wait for, amen? It's coming, but it's something we have to wait for. We've been adopted into the family of God, but we have to wait until maturity for us to get our inheritance, amen? As a child of God, we have to wait for that inheritance. So what exactly are we waiting for? When will that inheritance come? It's going to come when Jesus returns, amen? We are eagerly waiting for Christ to return to gather us together at the rapture, that's when we will be changed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. And that's when our redemption will come when we receive our new glorified bodies. See, we need to understand that Calvary, when Jesus went to Calvary's cross, he didn't just redeem us. Amen? He redeemed the entire creation. Everything that was cursed, all that he created was cursed because of sin. And when he went to Calvary, he redeemed all of it. Everything, all of creation. That's why we read in the book of Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth. Amen? Because of Jesus' redemption. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a glimpse of that. In verse 6, he says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, uh, and the uh, farling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Creation will be redeemed. Just to clarify, it won't be this child putting their hand in the viper's den, though. Me and snakes, we don't get along. Isaiah chapter 35. He said, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. In Isaiah 11, we saw where the animal kingdom will be redeemed. It'll be restored. And, and here in Isaiah 35, we see that the cursed ground and the vegetation will also be redeemed and restored. 
That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in, in chapter 8 in the book of Romans. In verse 23, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Amen? So we are saved, we are born again, we are heaven bound, but we are waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're waiting for that new glorified body that the Bible speaks of. A perfect spiritual body that will never decay, it will never suffer pain, it will never hurt again, and it will last for eternity. Amen. This is what we eagerly await for in Jesus Christ. So back there, behind us is the bondage of corruption. In front of us, we're looking forward to that liberty in Jesus Christ. But what about today? Well, today, we need to be comforted by that hope. Amen? Verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now we need to understand this is talking about Bible hope, not worldly hope. You know, when we talk about hope in this world, we're, we're wishing something will happen. But we need to understand when we're talking about Bible hope, Bible hope is something you don't have in your hand, but you know without a shadow of a doubt it is yours. It's a guarantee. Amen. You see, that's Bible hope. That's the hope that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And when we have this hope, we understand. We know that the groans and the sufferings that we endure today that they are only temporary. Amen? They're not permanent. We see the word groan three times here in this piece of Scripture. In verse 22, we see the groans of creation. For we know that the whole creation groans. Everything in this world is decaying. Everything in this world is coming apart. Why? Because this world is winding down. We need to understand. Then we see in verse uh, 23, we see the groans of the Christian. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. As a pastor, over the years, I've seen firsthand how even Christians suffer. The emotional pain when loved ones are lost. As long as we're in the flesh, we're going to suffer. Amen? We're going to suffer. Then we also, look at verse 26. We see the groans of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Did you ever 
Did you ever have someone come to you with a, with a situation and you're like, Phew, I have no idea how to pray for that one. You know, maybe it's a marital situation or a, a, a relationship situation and you're just like, I don't know about that one. That's where we turn it over to the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what this verse is talking about. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. How? With groanings which cannot be uttered. Too many think too lightly about this piece of Scripture. We need to be so thankful that we serve a God that groans with us and for us. Amen? We serve a God with tears in His eyes. We serve a God who loves us beyond words. One who commands us to cast all of our cares upon Him, all of our burdens, all those things that weigh heavy on our shoulders. He says, cast them all upon me, for I care for you. Every burden... He wants to carry for us so that we don't have to carry it ourselves. A God that suffered for us in our place. Amen. Remember, as a believer, our suffering is only temporary. Look at it this way. All of our suffering, all the pain that we have to endure, it's all on this side of eternity. How long is eternity? It's measureless. Never ends. We're blessed if we have a hundred years on this side of eternity. That's how long our suffering will be. But on the other side, there will never ever be any more suffering. We need to see it in a proper heavenly perspective. Our suffering is confined to this side of eternity. But if you're not saved, not only do you suffer on this side of eternity, but you will also suffer in the torments of hell for eternity. Amen. You need to change that path and come to Jesus Christ if that's the path you're on. For the saved, we suffer temporarily today. But we are going to enjoy the glory for eternity. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen.
Bottom line is that there is no fault that can contemn us, no one who can conquer us, and no fear that can ever control us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 38. Paul said, For I am persuaded, I am convinced, that neither, uh, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does nothing mean? Nothing means absolutely nothing. Amen? Nothing can separate us from the absolute, perfect, and pure love of God that He has for us. Amen? I want to close with this quick point. The Apostle Paul is sharing these words with us. But you need to understand what he had already gone through and where he was at. The Apostle Paul had been beaten to a pulp. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been snake-bitten. He'd been arrested, shackled, and thrown in the middle of a dungeon. He knew suffering and heartache. But look what else he knew and what he declared. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared to, with the glory which shall be revealed in us.